and welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it and we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always we'll end with our recommendations of further reading inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off we have a quick catch up on what else we've been watching this last week, although it's been a couple of weeks now since our last record. So Sam, what since we talked about Alien 3 have you been watching? Right, um... I did watch something last week, I've now forgotten entirely what that was. But it's fine, because last night I saw The King's Speech, um, which I haven't seen since it came out. And I forgot how much I enjoyed it, um, because Jeffrey Rush is great, and Colin Firth does what he does, and Helena Bonham is great, and it is just a fun film. It's... um. I would have a list of films that I'd watch on a Sunday afternoon and it's one of those um, there are certain films that are great but I wouldn't wish to watch winding down but that was certainly one of them very enjoyable cool I must have not seen it myself yeah. it's it's nothing amazing but it's it's worth having some downtime to ah I uh, this week I've been uh, watching once again, dear listeners, this is another of me saying, I've watched this, it's not worth seeing. I am currently halfway through watching Suicide Squad. I'm a little bit behind the scenes, a little bit behind the uh, time on this one. Uh, but baby and all. So we are currently catching up on Suicide Squad. And it's just dull and dull. Oh God, it's bad. Um, so <laughs> I, I have no good recommendations off you. That there's anything that I've really been watching is that and Westworld still watching that so uh, that from last last time we talked about this still continue to recommend that I wonder whether um, it would be interesting to know how because that went through several rewrites and studios saying oh, we can't do that and people pulling out and the, the, the final cut was vastly different from the original was the original idea I just wonder how. I mean, it, it's it's a rubbish film, but like, there's a great film in there. And I just wonder, like, if someone had been allowed to do something different, if it would have been good. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll get a bit more into that in I mean, as we talk about this week's film. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. I just DC can't do films, but like, the TV stuff's really good. Mm. But the films are just terrible. They're just bad films. Well, not that I'm talking about films, but it uh, seems time to move on to talk about this week, um, which is the last in the Alien franchise, if we discount. we Let's not talk about Prometheus um, or the Alien vs. Predator films. It's the last in the main Alien franchise, Alien Resurrection. These were very, very hard to come by. So was our cargo. Whatever you got going on here ain't exactly approved by Congress. It's a military operation. Really? Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. Alien Resurrection is the fourth film in the franchise. Sigourney Weaver is back on board. But this instalment is directed by a new director, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, 
with an acting, a writing credit from Joss Whedon. Um, 200 years after Ellen Ripley's death, she's been cloned and brought to life along with a breeding alien by United Systems Military. Winona Ryder is a crew member on a merchant, basically a pirate ship, that docks with the United Systems Military USM craft. And fairly predictably, the um, USM staff are not able to contain the aliens who escape. The staff evacuate the ship or are killed, and it's left to Ellen Ripley, Winona Ryder, and her colleagues to track down the aliens. So, Rob, your thoughts? I, I am a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to Alien Resurrection. I. I would be hard pushed to say it's a good film or that I really like the film but at the same time I'm very hard pushed to say it's a bad film and I didn't like it I think that in the constant drive to reinvent the alien franchise with each film so as you with the horror film we had a war movie and we had the, sort of the strange philosophical um, survival movie in Alien 3 that they appear to have gone for I don't know black comedy high sci-fi as as the uh, their third option, yeah. the fourth option even. So I think that it's a good film in place. Some really interesting ideas. You've got you know the the alien hybrid that Ripley now is. You've got the idea of cloning. You've got this idea of how the aliens interact. You know you've got where the aliens are a known entity. No one's being surprised by being aliens, but obviously they break out. So there's some interesting ideas in this film. And even even some set pieces like the underwater aliens, um, which I think are interesting elements and interesting ideas, but somehow it doesn't quite coalesce into an overarchingly good film. It feels like they're throwing around some big ideas and some interesting ideas about humanity and our relationship with the things we create and control, but once again it just doesn't meet. Mm. And I wonder how much of that is is the interplay of the different personalities involved in this and their sensibilities and I will touch on it a bit more once we've got through sound review um, but yeah it's kind of a mixed bag I don't dislike it but I find hard push to say it's a really good film mm. Sam um, I would be more negative about it um, I didn't like the script sorry Joss and I found the direction difficult to get on board with but then it does have some interesting set pieces. You're right, I did like those. Um, I liked an early set piece with the scientists and the aliens, for example. Um, and then, like you said, there are other sort of set pieces where they're being chased by the aliens. It makes it makes it interesting. Yeah, I suppose I didn't didn't feel it was a great film. It was. It was an interesting film, but not necessarily a good one. I think mainly my complaint is that, um, and we know that Sigourney Weaver was uh, was strong-armed into it um, because she's seen as the cornerstone of this franchise. I don't feel it needed her, and I think it might have been a better film if she hadn't been in, in it. I agree, and that's what I was trying to say about the different personalities at stake. You've got a very clear sensibility in the writer, a clear sensibility in the director, and then Sigourney is this producer-actor who 
didn't really want to be there. And I think that's where, for me, it fell apart. Yeah, it felt like the... I suppose the the group that that come from the pirate ship were enough of a. I suppose they they were enough of a hero, as a group to go against the alien and uh, wearing a rider's character was interesting and this revisiting of the spoiler alert anyone hasn't seen revisiting of the um, synth uh, destroy line from earlier films so you find out that. Rona Ryder, this this young um, misfit on the the pirate ship, and you don't really know where she's come from. You find out that she's a robot. Um, I think that characters like that, the relationship between her and the crew, were enough to power this film, and it felt, yeah, it, it like you say, it just felt that Sigourney Weaver didn't have to be there, and like you said, she didn't want to be there. I think it's worth noting that the, the first draft of the script, she wasn't there. Mm. It was about, you know, Whedon wrote a script about Newt, the, uh, the child from the second film. And her, 200 years later, she was the lead that uh, Whedon envisaged. So it is, it's a mismatch, a smorgasbord of, of different ideas and different thoughts. Mm. And that's where it kind of falls apart for me. Mm. Um, so it is, it just felt going, it felt weird, like, it felt to me this strange mix of just being the old things that no, no invention at all, whilst at the same time being too much invention. Mm. Yes. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. In, enough down on it. Let's let's talk about why it was an interesting film because it was. There it did it does have it some was. interesting ideas. Um, I'm I'm going to kick off um, first of all for as I tend to talking about the look of the film, and I think the look of the film is very interesting. Mm. The director obviously comes from um, Lost Children, and went on to do Amelie. He is a visual director with some very interesting visual ideas. And I think that shows, I think, from the maybe the dour and the drab in Alien 3, we've got much more of a, certainly a French sci-fi aesthetic yeah. um, rolling, rolling through this. And it shows in things like, say, the underwater scene, the characterization of the Betty crew, and the, some of the aliens that we see in it. On top of that, I think I'm just going to look at the direct, the um, name of the um, cinematographer. Um, but uh, I did some research this. So uh, Darius, I'm massively um, brutal this, but Darius Kondigi, Kondigi. Uh, I apologise for the uh, brutal way in which I said that name. Uh, cinematographer on this, who actually went and added silver into the prints, the physical prints of the film, yeah. to give it that kind of gritty look um, the look we took here in this film is often probably mischaracterised as bleach bypass which is when you develop in the film you by- bypass the bleach stage and it gives you a washed out gritty tone and this I think could be mistaken for that but it isn't the case this is a silver additive process which gives it that kind of shiny feel to a lot of it mm. um, but not in a kind of like a Star Trek way it isn't shiny and that everything's shiny and new it just gives everything a bit of a sheen throughout and I think that the visuals of the film are great. I think that the aliens look like aliens, but with slight differences. The kind of cold deadness of Ripley, design choice up and down, I'm not sure. Interesting to see her to something else. I think the Betty crew are very visually interesting. I would probably say that I'm not a big fan of the what, what was termed the newborn. The uh, the uh, alien yes. 
human hybrid that that felt like a a choice too far and i'm not a big fan of that in terms of the visuals but everything else i thought was a very visually interesting film interesting, very interesting because i i really liked that and thought that was really interesting this sort of coming together of the human and alien i mean that didn't didn't like it, it looks horrible but mm. one of one of the things i wanted to to pick up on there it, you see in that character is the idea of generating sympathy and um something we we've closely talked about this week is the idea of captivity and mm. i think that one of the really successful things that the whether it's the director or the cinematographer or the producers, whoever it is, whatever they do, um, they do some really good things in setting up this um, atmosphere or captivity that actually makes you sympathise with the aliens. Yes. Um, in a way that is very different from the earlier films. It's very different from Alien 1, for instance, when it's us against the alien and you, you root for the people. I, was also, I, I would add to that, I think that it's interesting that once again in this film, which is a theme that has run through it, is that the real bad guys are the humans. Mm. You know, the, the evil scientists that was here. But you do end up this time properly having, like, especially for the newborn and the alien queen, like, they were bred in captivity to be weapons. These weren't, you know, a wild creature that we've come across as we do in the first three films. Yes. Yeah. The, these were created. And that doesn't even touch the scene of what I would call... You know, clones one to seven. Yes, which is in fact that was really moving that scene, particularly the one Very much so. where the one of them asked to be put out of its misery. And mm. there's some, something really moving about that. Um, and like you said, these are these have been bred in captivity as weapons. Um, and there's also, I don't know whether this is linked back to this this process that you talked about with the cinematographer but um it may be a reference of the directors it felt at times and i i talk about this um scene with the scientist and alien it felt at times like the, i hesitate to go all poncy but you know what whatever um michelle foucault french philosopher took the concept of the panopticon from another philosopher, not important, um, and made the idea of keeping people in captivity, being punished for something, um, was linked to the structure of the building. So the panopticon was uh, kind of kind of like a wheel with the guard sitting at the centre and then prisoners around the spokes of the wheel. But it felt very much like that was what the scientist was like. He was the evil guard sat at the centre mm. of this panopticon. And there was something about the aesthetic of the way that the aliens were kept in captivity. It looked like they were around the edges of a room. And you have that also with the one to seven clones. Like you said, there's something, something about the way they're arranged in that room as well. I think tying it back to our um, our talking about captivity, I think there's also aside from the physical captivity of of the characters, there is something to the opposed the captivity of Ripley in terms of this narrative, mm. in that she has been here before, and there's certainly a, a world weariness yes. to Ripley here, yeah. 
um, which we haven't seen before. Even, I mean, Alien 3 was, it went from the first one obviously being like survival, second one being sort of revenge, the third one being hysteria a bit more. By the time we hit this one, there's a world weariness to this is my life now. Yes, yeah. And I think that, that there's an element of captivity to her and the idea of this cyclic narrative that she always finds herself up in, fighting aliens, meeting an android. And it, it, that we are, you feel from like the first setup that everyone in this film is preordained to have their resolution. That, that, that they are all trapped in these cycles. Um, and you, I think you've got lots of visual elements of that throughout the film. You've got, you've got the the humans in stasis that have been kidnapped by the Betty, who are clearly trapped in there. You've got the character whose name I'm struggling to remember, uh, Virus, um, who is obviously trapped to his. Um, uh, his uh, wheelchair mm. and uh, his uh, he's he's obviously carried later on during the film. Um, there are there is a lot of feeling of claustrophobia um, and recurring images that aren't actually about physically being trapped, but there is this this element of captivity of everybody in their world. Mm. Um, you know, the the crew of the Betty themselves are all mostly trapped. Working there, like especially Call, the Winona Ryder character, is a very odd juxtaposition in terms of her aesthetic to the rest of the crew and her age and uh, her sex, her gender to, to the rest of the crew. And there's a feeling of trappedness that they bring, is you know, not their indented servitude, but there is an element of we know another life. This is all we have. Yeah, it's interesting actually that one of the first hits on YouTube, if you look at the clips of this film, is Winona Ryder and her war-weary smile in the canteen right at the beginning where she says to him, you're going to die. We're trapped in this now. This is what's going to happen. And I'm paraphrasing, mm. but that's basically what she says to him. So you're right, there is an idea that it's kind of like a preordained narrative, this film. Yes. And that's where I think that the, for me, the visual stylings work um, on top of that. Um, you know, the, the, he's given we know where it's going to end when it um, it starts. And yeah, there are sort of surprises in the way, but we know at this point we're also four into a film. I think there's to to go a little bit meta from here. There is an element of captivity of the audience. And the audience reaction to this film. We are the fourth in the series now. We go into this knowing what we're going to see. Mm. And knowing what to expect from Alien the film. We know we're going to see corridors and running and death from above. And all this sort of thing. And there's going to be all elements that we are captive to this ongoing narrative. And we're captive to the previous films. You can't throw away the canon of the earlier films. What's well, obviously seen in 200 years in the future. Throws away a lot of the history of that film. So there is an element of audience captivity that we are all bound by just as much when watching these films. Yeah. I wondered, actually, thinking about the idea of going a bit meta and thinking about what the audience thinks, that uh, Ripley's last line when she looks out over Earth and says, "I don't," in response to, what do we do now? I don't know, I'm a stranger here myself. I wondered how much that was sort of Know, questioning the worth of the franchise, um, mm-hmm. some some sort of a, or maybe it's a sort of 
it's a reminder to people watching that actually none of this matters in in a strange way. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, it's a... The film felt in many ways like it was trying to reboot but also end the franchise. I think everyone who... I I, I think you'd agree with me that having seen the first three films, at the end of the third film, felt like a nice ending to the series. Mm. Um, And moving the action 200 years in the future into a very different styling aesthetic, it does feel not like a reboot, but I suppose a, a relaunch of the franchise. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a new Ripley. It isn't the same Ripley you've had the same experiences previously, um, or the same um, that kind of thing. So it is a bit of a new new world. So maybe maybe it's saying then, I'm a stranger here myself. It's kind of a sly nod to that. It's like the original Ripley wouldn't have been a stranger there, but this is yes. this is not the original Ripley. Well, exactly. I mean, she 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 is half alien queen. You know, with the with the the acid blood and the uh, and the enhanced skills and so, to quick aside, um, the infamous shot in which Scully even makes the uh, overhead pass of the of the basketball shot did it for real. Oh, good. She, she she trained up and did it for real. Anyway, I think I think I have a little aside of the way. I think that yeah, I think you I think you're right that there's a element of going this is not the Ripley you know on the Ripley you've seen before which if we were to move into an Alien 5 or Alien 6 which I don't think have happened after the, the lack of sense of this film it would be a chance to do new things because I think that we we have mentioned in past the kind of the superheroization of characters that over the course of, an, of a of a franchise a character can become a superhuman Indiana Jones for example John McClane for example and they've kind of jumped it a little bit here that through one, two and three Alien she managed to Ripley was like still the same person you know yeah she picked up a few skills here and there with guns and that kind of stuff but she was still basically the same person mm. she wasn't suddenly leaping and jumping and superhero but they've managed to just almost jumpstart into the fourth film that leap that normal progression of a character into being a superhero into being a super version of themselves, but with a narrative reason why, rather than just, I suppose, franchise creep. Mm. Franchise, franchise creep. Yeah. In in that way, this is this is actually, although there were some pretty serious problems that we talked about at the beginning, this is a really interesting way to end the franchise, and it's, I think, I mean, we we've looked at quite a few sort of third films and fourth films and sequels and they haven't been great this is one of the ones that actually avoids franchise creep and does something really interesting with that I, 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 I can completely agree I agree so Sam yes to end the Alien franchise right do um, you have some recommendations for us I do have some recommendations this week um, I've actually I've, I've got Two which I which I have to mention they're related to actors in this. We've sort of I think I think I've uh, run dry on my recommendations on a similar theme, but I would like to mention two actor related recommendations. And one is a film that I didn't particularly enjoy at the time. People raved about it and I think I think I may have to revisit it. Um, so this is 2011 film Drive, and the link is Ron Perlman, um, who was the 
crew member from the Betty here. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm still not sure whether I like it, that film, so I will I'll have to go back and see. And as a quick note here, I have a poster of Drive hanging over my bed. I like it that much. Oh, well, then I definitely will, will give it another year. Excellent. Um, and my second one, and I would be remiss in not mentioning this, because it's Dan Hedaya, who is the um, captain on the USM ship, uh, is also the detective in one of my favourite ever films. Um, I would put it top three. Uh, it's 1995, The Usual Suspects. And Dan Hedaya's face when he realises at the end is just amazing. And it's made me smile just thinking about it because it's an amazing moment in cinema history. I feel that that was one of the ones that I, I, I introduced you to in our teenage film watching days, possibly. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, it was introduced to me by my older brother, um, and I, I, I'm passing that love on to this day. It's an amazing film. Um, I have just got one other recommendation. It's when you mentioned Ripley in basketball, and it's uh, I the the recent TV series Luke Cage, which I won't talk about because I've talked about it and written about it to death elsewhere. You have done a lot about that, yeah. Um, but I will just mention that the uh, female detective Luke Cage is called Misty Knight. Um, there is a scene fairly early on in the second episode where she has to question someone on on a basketball court downtown. And he says, well, I'm not going to ask any of your questions. And she's like, okay, if I beat you a basketball, will you answer my questions? And he looks at a female police officer in a pantsuit and heels and says, yeah, fine. And it turns out that Misty Knight was her um, school varsity basketball captain. Um, right. That's the narrative part of it. Um, they didn't know this about, they didn't know anything about uh, Simone Missick, who played Misty Knight. Um, so they got in a stunt double, they got in the basketball player to do her scene. And in that scene, before the double could come in, Simone Missick just drilled a three-pointer, and it turned out she played basketball college, basketball at college as well. So nice. they went with her. Anyway. Excellent. I still need to watch Luke Cage. I haven't seen any of it yet. Um, so I will at some point sit down and watch, I promise you. Good. So my two recommendations. Yep. Um, oddly enough, I've taken the same actor as you, Ron Perlman, and gone for my first recommendation. Mm-hmm. And that is the 2004 film Hellboy uh, from Guillermo del Toro. It is the um, tale of a half-demon, half-human, uh, not really a superhero, but a creature who comes up to fight against the forces of Nazi oculism, I suppose. It is a triumph of visual effects, and it has very much a similar sensibility to uh, Alien Resurrection. Um, it does get a lot of love. The second one wasn't quite as good, um, but it is Ron Perlman in his most defining role, I think. Good. Secondly, um, as you mentioned earlier, that Josh Whedon did write uh, Alien Resurrection, and it wasn't early work for him. Not... Cabin in the Woods again, I'm not, no. I'm going to mention Serenity again. Right, okay. um, Which I have plugged previously. Um, But 2005 Serenity um, is the big screen outing of his Firefly TV series. If you haven't seen either of these, what the hell are you doing in your life? I can't recommend these films enough. I have seen Serenity probably more times than I've seen any other film in my entire life. I think it's wonderful. I think it's as close to a perfect genre of film as I've ever seen. So 
any chance recommended it, I will take it. Good. Next week, Sam. Well, yes, next week. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, Merry Christmas. We are taking a little bit of a hiatus, and we'll be back at the end of December with, um, much like last year, a review of the year with top fives. And I'll do the top five films I saw this year, and Rob will do the only five films he saw at the cinema this year. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be that. It's going to be that. Yeah. So we'll be back into it soon, and uh, hopefully we'll bring some uh, interesting thoughts on the films we've seen this year. And uh, there are more than five, I promise you, for my list. More than five that I've seen this year, but not many. Till then, guys, you can find us on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Until then, we shall see you next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.